0: Wonderful to see you this morning, and uh, I had the privilege of going out to the East Campus this morning, as I'm still doing that, about once a month or so, and uh, had a great service out there, wonderful service. How many of you were at the concert last night? <laughs> All right. Well, it was a good one, wasn't it? Had the place packed out, everything was, uh, curtains were down, had the place packed out. It was just a wonderful time to worship with Big Daddy Weave, and uh, great folks, too. Had a chance to meet them, and they said that everything and I'm, I'm speaking not of myself because i had nothing to do with it but all the backstage people all the people involved in our tech team they were, they did it all with a sense of excellence one of the greatest churches they've ever worked with as far as getting everything done just right it's just just great with them and let me just say this too some of them many of you perhaps were here until two o'clock in the morning putting all this back together let's give them a round of applause and thank them for that all right <clears throat> Now I would ask them to stand, eh, but chances are, if they were here at 2 o'clock in the morning, they're not here right now, so um, we'll just move right along. You know, one of the things that I did want to uh, share with you again is that we have just a, a great opportunity here in a few weeks to welcome Tim Johnson as our new worship leader. And so that'll be two weeks from, is it two weeks, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. What's today? February the what? September the what? anyway in a few weeks he's going to be here now uh the question has been asked well you know during the process you know because it took a while so are we are we dragging our feet well no but we had over 500 applicants for the position you believe that and uh, so a lot of people wanted to come here and we even tried out some a little bit as our staff as well i mean some people figured hey how, how, how hard could it be you know and so uh i'm just kidding um So I did try out. I just thought, well, let me just give it a shot, you know. And so here's just an excerpt from that, okay, if you just turn your attention to the screen. Now, that was pretty good, but still just a little bit pitchy. So we're going to try this again one more time. Let's really get it this time, shall we? All right, ready? Nancy? Excuse me. Excuse me. Maybe I can help you out. I'll sort of move around, see if I can spot who it is. Thank you, Barney. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but can he do contemporary music? <laughs> no, I'm sure that's not what you're thinking. No, we just thought I had a little fun with it, and that was back when uh, Barney did not mean the coffee. Now, when you mentioned Barney, you know, I remember when my kids were growing up, they kept talking about Barney, and I thought, have they been watching the reruns of Annie Griffith? They want, they were talking about the little dinosaur, purple dinosaur. I'm like, no, back when I was growing up, it was Barney Fife, and so I, I just one of my favorite episodes there. Let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to turn to Romans, or excuse me, Psalm 8, and we're in a series of messages on Psalm, face-to-face with God. Now, here's how we're doing it. Uh, it take a long time, three years, in fact, to preach through every single Psalm, and for you to uh, enjoy that in your devotional life. So here's what we're doing. We're going to ask you, and we're challenging you to read a Psalm every day and so this past week you should have read psalm 8 through 14 and then you can go on facebook you can go on our website and find a devotional there based on that psalm every day from one of our staff people different staff on every day and so i invite you to to do that and then on sunday i'm going to be preaching on one of those psalms last week was psalm one today it's psalm eight next week it'll be somewhere between 15 and 21 if my math is correct and then after that, you're going to have to start getting out your calculator, I know. But nevertheless, we're going to try to set that up for you every week. Now, as we're looking at this, we also understand that tonight we're not going to have a Revelation study. It's kind of a halftime thing when you go to your Super Bowl fellowships. And when I think about the Super Bowl, I recognize the fact that everybody likes to be validated. Everybody wants to be really a hero of some sort. In fact, tonight... If someone catches the winning touchdown pass, kicks the winning field goal, throws the winning touchdown pass, it could just ch- simply change their life forever. I mean they're gonna be a, a hero, they're gonna be on TV everywhere, commercials, and all kinds of lucrative contracts. In fact, there's some people in the past Super Bowls have really made, maybe only made one significant play in their entire career that you would know about, and it happened in the Super Bowl. And so we're looking for that. We, we want that validation in life. We want To know our our self-worth well the title of the message today who am i really i mean after all isn't that the biggest question everybody always asks you know who am i what am i here for all that so and and you need to understand something about that question before we get started in this song and that is really that question of i'm trying to you know find myself and who i am trying to find myself those kind of questions really are a recent phenomenon in history. Um, back 50, 60 years ago, you wouldn't hear that. In fact, can you imagine yourself living in the Western days, and there you are with your spurs on and your, your, your gun beside you and your hat on. You walk into the bar. You sit between a gunslinger and a sleazy poker player. And the gunslinger looks at you and says, well, stranger, what brings you to town? And you look at him and says, well, I'm just trying to find myself. You know, well... You probably found the end about right there. And so all this is just really something recent. Why? Because if that gunslinger looked at you, if he had any, any sense of what was going on in life, he would look at you and say, well, where are you from? Don't you have a family? What about your vocation? Aren't you, don't you do something? Because the gunslinger would think, well, I have self-worth. I'm, I'm a gunslinger, and I'm a, I'm a gun for hire. And so, everybody sort of had their niche of where they fit based on their environment. Other people really defined who they were. But today, we don't have vocations. We have jobs. We don't have roots in our family. Somebody asks, well, where are you from? Well, I'm from the Midwest and also the Southeast, and I used to be in the Northeast, and I used to be overseas, and I used to be here and there. We have no roots involved. And what about faith? Somebody says, well, what are you? Well, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, and now... I'm a doubter. I just don't know what to believe anymore. And so really it's left up to us to define ourselves. And as David is looking up into the heavens, he realizes something. The more we are caught up in the majesty of God, the more we understand ourselves. And the more we're caught up in the glory and the majesty of God and recognize who he is, the more we can understand who we are. And so I want us to look at this in three ways, three points. The works of God, the wonder of man, and then the worth of man. As David looks at this, he looks at the works of God beginning in verse 1. As he's meditating there, uh, he's out in the field somewhere. He could, could have been back to the time that he was a shepherd boy. But I think it was probably one of the times that he was being chased by someone, by an enemy. As we sort of get the context of this. And he's outside, living outside, and he's under the stars, and he's looking at what the glory of God and everything is going on. He says, "'O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! "'Who have displayed your splendor above the heavens! "'From the mouths of infants and nursing babes "'you have established strength because of your adversaries "'to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. "'When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers.'" The moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? I want us to see something about God here. What does this psalm teach us about God? What is the worth of God and the the works of God? First of all, I want you to notice it speaks some to his existence. Notice it says, as David looks into the heavens, he's awestruck by creation. And he realizes that God's there, that nature tells him that God is there. It's amazing to me, someone like Stephen Hawking will write books about trying to validate his, his atheism. And I'm not picking on him, just any atheist uh, does that. Why do they write these books? Why, why are they hostile sometimes toward the Christian faith? It's because they have a need to be validated and to be right. And, but also, so many people are out there believing in this stuff. They believe in God. And so it takes someone to write a book, they think, to combat all the belief there is about God. Most of the people in the world believe in some kind of supreme being. Why is that? Well, Romans 1 speaks to this, and it speaks to this passage. It says, because that which is known about God is evident within them. He says, how do you know there's a God? You know there's a God because God has placed the knowledge in your heart. We've said before that some atheists will come come up and say, you know, it wasn't the apologetics, it wasn't the proofs of the faith, and all that that convinced me. It was just simply what convinced me is God just came to me, it seems like, and said, I'm here. I exist. You don't have to convince a five-year-old that God exists. They know that within them, but to back that up, it says, for God made it evident to them, for since the creation of the world.'" his invisible attributes. Now, an attribute is a characteristic of God. You know, his love, his mercy, his grace, the fact that he he knows everything, he's everywhere all at one time, he's all-powerful, he's sovereign. All these things are what we call the attributes or characteristics of God as explained in the scripture. So he says, these are invisible attributes. We can't see them. But what we can't see is made evident by what we can see. He says, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. Therefore, none of us have an excuse not to believe. He says, look, as you look at the trees, you look at the rivers, as David was looking at the stars, you realize God is out there. This just didn't create itself on its own. That would be really impossible to do. And somebody says, Yeah, but who created God? The point is, there are two different realms now. There's the the spiritual and the physical. We understand some of the things of the physical, and we're capable of understanding probably a lot more, but we don't understand the spiritual. It's a different world, it's a different realm altogether. When you take away the spiritual and say there's, there's not an unknown out there, there's, not, there's nothing within me that says there is a God, then, then nature has no source. You say, what about evolution? Evolution only explains, if it were true, it only explains how nature evolved, not how it was created. It doesn't explain the origin of life. And so, we're looking at everything around us and understand that God exists. Why is that important? Why is it essential in our relationships? Why is it essential in our self-worth? It's because, as Bertrand Russell has said, without the existence of God, life has no meaning. There's nothing to it. I mean, after all, you live here for a while and you die. You leave children behind, grandchildren behind. You leave them for a better life, but they're going to die too. And there's there's going to be nothing to it. There's no purpose in their life except for maybe just to make a life a little bit better. And if they can dream up a dream, let's go for the dream. The existence of God is necessary to even believe in a meaning to life. And so we're going to leave this because that's not all what this passage is really about. And so, secondly, we look at the majesty of God. Look in verse 1. It says, how majestic, that is, how large. You're just large. You're larger than life. You're majestic. I I see and witness the glory of everything that's going on. Then he says down in verse 3, when I consider, he's meditating here, he's thinking through things. Your heavens, the work of your fingers. Why didn't it say the work of his hand? Why didn't it say the work of his arm? Why didn't you say the work of God? The idea of working with fingers is like, a, is like molding something. You're sculpting something. He's an artist. Now, this is very unusual when it's talking about a God back in that day who's an artist. Because most of the time in most religions, when creation happened, it happened in a violent way. It happened where two gods or three gods or multiple gods were duking it out, and somebody won. Very violent. But here we find God is an artist. Why do, why do artists create things? Well, it's for it's you say, for the money. Well, maybe sometimes. But have you ever heard the phrase, a starving artist? Artists, usually a true artist, will sculpt something, mold something, paint something, create something for the joy of it. For the love of it. And here he's depicting God as it's revealed to him as he's looking at everything around. God, you have created all this like an artist with your fingers. How majestic are you? Now, he's awestruck with this. I've got a little video here to show you just the largeness of the universe and where we stand in all this. Can we run that real quick? to show you that just to understand just for a moment how vast the universe is and how small we are in comparison. Now you think about this for just a moment and most of us here treat God this way. Lord, I want you to come into my heart. This this gigantic larger than life God to come into my life so you can be my administrative assistant. Don't we treat him that way? Really think about it for just a moment. I've got a dream. I have a vision. I want my dream to come true. I'm inviting Jesus to come into my life, and now, Jesus, your, your job is to help me and my dream to come true. And it could be something of a vocation. It could be something in your family. It could be something financial. It, it could be anything. But here's what I want, and therefore, God, I just hope you help me to get it. And if you don't, then what good are you? I mean, why did I go through all this? church stuff anyway, if you're not going to help me. I think God is too great to expect us to treat him like an administrative assistant. Nothing wrong with administrative assistant. I'm just saying it. I'm just saying that's how we treat him sometimes. Think about it. Number two, the wonder of man. This moves David to ask the supreme question that's on so many people's minds. What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man... That you care for him. Now, most of the time in the Bible, when you mention the son of man, because I was curious about this, so I researched this, most of the time it's talking about Jesus Christ. But in this passage, he's just simply saying, what is mankind and also the sons of men? In other words, not just me, but everyone, all my sons, all my grandsons, all the people that have gone before me. What what is mankind that you would take thought of him? What is a man? Who am I? he says. And this idea of take thought, be mindful, remember, care for, is the idea of filling the heart. He's saying, what, who am I that I would fill your mind and fill your heart? Who am I? Now, just to, just to get the astonishment here just down for just a moment, just a fraction of it, maybe. Suppose you're a, a college student. And uh, you're going, going to school, and you meet this guy, you're a young college co-ed, and you meet this guy, and, and you really like him. I mean, he's sharp, he's very kind, very thoughtful, good-looking, you know, the whole idea of what you've kind of been really kind of looking for. And you go out on dates, and you go to these, you know, kind of neat, kind of romantic, obscure-type places, and, uh, you know, you suddenly realize, hey, no, my, my friends have not met my new boyfriend. And so... You say, well, let's come on, I, I, want you to, I, I want you to go to this pizza parlor with me, pizza place. And so you go to the pizza place, and your friends are surprised. They weren't expecting you. And here you come in with your new boyfriend. And their eyes get this big. And they pull you off to the side and say, you know who this guy is? And you say, yeah, it's Randy. It's my new boyfriend. She says, no, no. He's the, he's the greatest pop star in the world right now. He makes hundreds of millions of dollars. Can I get a selfie with him? You know, that kind of thing. You know, can I get my picture mate? And he said, no, 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 no. This is Randy. It's just Randy. You've mistaken him for someone. Don't you follow pop music at all? He said, no, I'm more of country music, classical, whatever. And uh, no, I don't follow pop music. Oh, yeah, he was, he was on The Voice. What's that? He was on, he's great. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. He could have any woman in the world, and he chose you. And she thinks to herself, yeah, why? I mean, you think to yourself, well, you know, you're pretty, but you always can find fault with yourself. And you're nice, but a lot of girls are nice. And you think, what's his angle? Why should he choose me when he could have any girl in the entire world? That's just a fraction of what David felt that night. As he was probably complaining about his son or King Saul, one of the two, chasing him, and he's having to live under the stars and living in caves, suddenly, with all this complaining, he looks up and says, Wow, God, you're not my administrative assistant. You're not my financial manager. I work for you. You don't work for me. And he's astonished that God would fill his heart with him. Well, we look at this. We understand about creation. And you may be saying to yourself, well, you know, I'm kind of challenged here. Why are we challenged? Why, why would that young girl not think herself suddenly worthy of this young man that she's already gotten to know me for weeks? Why? Because as one doctor would say, we have our self-identity wrapped up in culture in three ways. Number one, I am what I have, what I acquire, what I accomplish, who I know, who loves me. I'm the husband of so-and-so. I'm the wife of so-and-so. I'm the president of this. I'm the vice president of that. I've got these holdings here. I own this property. I have, we've acquired, we've acquired, we've acquired, we've had uh, acquisitions. And we think, well, this is not logical because we're dependent on something on the outside all the time. Who loves us at the time? Who doesn't love us at the time? How much money we have? The kind of job that we have? We're identifying ourselves with our, uh, with our job and what, we, what we've accomplished. But there's a second one. And the second one is this. I am how I feel. It's a romantic approach. You know, I got to be me. <clears throat> okay, There's a song that, about that, but I won't sing it because you've seen my musical t- um, expertise already this morning. I've got, I can't live up to everybody else's expectations. You've heard that before. I've just got to be me. I've got to be what I feel like being. And there's a problem to that. First of all, um, that's why, this is why it's always good to sort of keep your mouth shut. No, I'm not, I'm trying to insult anybody. I'm just saying, well, I just say it like it is and I say it like I feel. Yeah, but you may feel differently tomorrow. Yeah, but I'm just searching for my deepest feelings. Well, here's the fallacy to that. You're assuming that your deepest feelings, the things that are under the surface, are different from the surface feelings, and there's no evidence of that at all. And so you feel like, I need to be validated for my feelings, and I'm going to say what I want to say, do what I want to do, do whatever I feel like doing, and you're supposed to applaud that. That's why... That's why so many people go on people places like Oprah and they, Jerry Springer and others in between, and they say, you know, well, I just got to be me, and I'm tired of living. You know, they could have teeth coming out their neck, you know, that they implanted in there. It could be so strange and bizarre. And they go and and they say, I gotta be me. I I just can't live by everybody everybody else's expectations. It's not fair for them to expect me to, to live in such a moral way, ethical way, sexual way, this way, this way, that way. I gotta be me. And what happens to the crowd? What do they do? They cheer them because no one can really validate themselves. They need the validation from somebody else, and they go on those programs and they get validation for how they are living. The problem is the deep feelings are no different from the surface feelings, probably. No evidence of it at all, again. And we cannot, not, not even the most narcissistic person can really validate themselves. That's why they brag on themselves all the time. They can't get enough praise because we all need validation. Well, thirdly, it's not only I am what I have, I am what I feel, but also this more recent one, I am what I want to be. Jean-Paul Sartre, the um, famous French philosopher, came up with the idea, you just got to be free. You have to be free. Now, this has laid a little bit dormant through the last couple of centuries, but is alive and well today in our society, in our culture, and in the last couple of generations. I've I've just, what I have to do, I have to be free. And if I'm just free to do, I mean, after all, if God is not real, and Sartre said he was not, if God is not real, then there's there's no sense. It's dumb to try to find yourself. It's dumb to try to think that you really have any meaning to life. So just live any way you want to live. Live free. And we said before last week, As we looked at Psalm 1, there's a big difference between the oak tree or the apple tree or the peach tree or the orange tree deep into the roots, into the ground, and they produce some fruit, and they're productive, and they do something great for society versus the tumbleweed. The tumbleweed has no no use, no usefulness, but it's free. It just blows with the wind. But the tree has roots. There's limitations to the freedom So you can be free or you can have a home. You can be free uh, or free over here, free or have rooted home. You can be free or be useful for the kingdom of God and for yourself. Well, we look at this and people think, well, I'm going to go where I want to go, do what I want to do, and it just doesn't work out for them. And it leaves them empty. And so now we look at the answer that david has been given by god to our worth to who we are who we are we are god's creation and we are god's redemptive target and our object let's look at it we see man's worth in two ways verse 4 says you're filled up with me but then look in verse 5 yet you have made me a little lower than god and there there's there's different translations to this, by the way. Some people say, "Well, it's a little lower than God, lower than the angels." There's another passage about that. But really, what David is simply saying here, in general, not trying to get too specific, you have been, we have been made just a little lower than the heavenly beings. Just a little bit lower than heaven, not much, just a little lower. And you have crowned him with glory and majesty. Now, these these are attributes of God, and he says, "Look." You have made man a little bit lower than the angels, and you crowned him with glory and majesty. <clears throat> what happened? Well, the fall happened. We sinned against the Lord. And because of that, all that was, was broken up. But no, notice what, what David said the original plan was. He says, he says in verse 6, you have made him to rule. Now, this, this really has not stopped, really. We're still stewards and a steward is a is a manager of somebody else's household or possessions. God owns it all, and we're managed, but we're made here to rule. When Adam and Eve were were formed in the garden, he says, I want Adam, I want you to rule over all this: fish of the sea, birds, birds of the air, etc. In fact, this looks like a recap of Genesis 1 and 2. And I believe David had maybe just read this, and he was meditating on. Those chapters in the Bible. And he says, wow, you know, I've I've studied the creation of man, how man came from the dust of the the ground, and I'm just just amazed by it. He says, you made him to rule over the works of your hands, and you put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea, and then he reaches a crescendo. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Wow, God, look what you've done. You've, made, you've given me gifts because I've filled your heart. And you've given me opportunity because I've, I've filled your heart. And you've given me your love because I've filled your heart. And you've crowned me with glory and majesty because I've, I've filled your heart, God. You've created me to do something beyond myself. And looking over the rest of creation, the more we see the majesty of God, the more we see our own worth. And you may be thinking, yeah, but I don't even know where to, I'm confused. I can't possibly see all this. Maybe you're like uh, the Peanuts cartoon. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say the Peanuts cartoon, Charlie Brown? Anybody here? Nobody knows that? Okay, well, vote. You know, it's okay. Help me out a little bit here. All right, the next person, raise their hands. I want you to zoom on in the camera, you know, and really put them on TV. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there we go, right over here. No, uh, you know, it's okay. You can, you can raise your hand. It's good. Um, and so you've heard of the Peanuts cartoon. Well, you know, Lucy's always the philosopher. And uh, they're, on, uh, they're on a ship of some type, I guess a cruise ship. And uh, Lucy says, you know, Charlie Brown, some people unfold their chairs And they sit them toward the front of the ship to see where they're going. Other people unfold their chairs and sit and point them toward the back of the ship to see where they've been. And then still others park themselves right in the middle and unfold their chairs in the middle of the ship so they can concentrate where they are. And Charlie Brown's shown in the last frame with his chair and says, I'm just still trying to get my chair unfolded. And so that's where you are. You're just trying to get it unfolded. Where do you go? Where do you, what do you realize when you say, okay, I know God created us, but we've been marred by sin. And there's no way that this could be his perfect will for all this stuff to be going on in the world today. So where do you go from there? The second thing is salvation. Our redemptive plan. I want you to look with me in verse 2 as we come back to this, to this verse. Because it's a very unusual verse. I don't know if you caught it. I don't know if you ask yourself the question, is he going to go over that? Why did he skip that? But look with me. From the mouth of... Of infants and nursing babes you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease he said you visited us in verse 4 we can see that he says what is man that you take thought of us and the son of man that you care or visit us why have you visited us and how did you do that he says what I've done we, we've been separated from God by sin for all of sin and come short of the glory of God we can try to validate ourselves, but we can't do it. We try to convince ourselves that we're great. We just can't do it. I can believe in myself, but there's just cer- certain things that I, I just can't do. We've harmed ourselves by, by simply that one phrase, believe in yourself, and you can do anything. <clears throat> just not true. I'm, I'm not a good swimmer. My wife can swim laps around me. We used to be at Southwestern Seminary, and they have this big, gigantic lap pool. And I would just struggle to get to one side or another. And I, I'd do the running and the, um, you know, the 21 minute mile. <laughs> no, it's a little faster than that. Uh, you know, the three miles and 21 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever. But boy, swimming in the pool, it just wasn't my thing. But if I took swimming lessons, I could do better. In fact, I could get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit, but you know, I'd never be better than an average swimmer. And I said, oh, no, I believe in myself. I'd never be better than an average swimmer. God did not give me those gifts. He did not expect me or uh, ordain me to be an Olympic swimmer. It just wasn't there. So there's certain things that if you put your mind to do it, yeah, you can do it. But there's limitations. And there's a limitation if you want to call it that, within the will of God and what God has for you. But the great thing about it is whatever he has for you is going to bring you satisfaction and fulfillment. Whatever you do outside of his will is going to bring you defeat and stress. Stress. So how does all this work? He says in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, For consider your calling, brethren. There were not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. He's saying in Psalm eight, God has taken the weakness of this world to glorify Himself. Not many—I've pa- asked that question of myself, but also other pastors. You know, I meet, you know, I have an opportunity to meet a great pastor and try to get to know them. And I think to myself, well, what was special about that? God has formed things in such a way that when people look at us, they think, wow, there must be something else. There must be something supernatural happening in their life. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. God has used the weak things to confound. He just used, he says, a baby. Does that bring you a remembrance of, of story? We call it the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story. Way back in Psalm 8. He was prophesying. God's gonna bring an infant. And in the weakness of that infant, he would come. And he would die on the cross for our sins. The marring that took place of our intellect and our emotions and even our bodies and other things in our life, mostly spiritually marred in our life, is gonna be cured by the blood of Jesus Christ, by him coming in weakness, living in weakness and dying on the cross in weakness. How do I know that I'm special to God? How do you know that you're special to God? He created you for a purpose, but when that purpose was foiled, He came along and He died for you. Say that with me. He died for me. Say it again. He died for me. Say it again. He died for me. How do you know God loves you? Say it. He died for you. He came to this earth, and this son of God came and broke the devil's curse. In fact, John 10.10 tells us, the thief comes to steal, to kill, destroy, the thief is Satan. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I love what that English theologian said. I know that God loves me. And he says, I asked myself, how much am I worth to God? And he said, a pretty penny. For you see, he died for me. His blood was spilt for you and me. So it's just not creation, but redemption. Salvation that you and I experience that shows our worth. Our worth to the Lord. The more we see the majesty of God, the more we see... Are worth you want to be validated that has to come from the outside and it has to come from God himself for he has placed that need in our heart and we're validated when we realize what God has done for us the fact that we need to receive him into our heart with heads bowed and eyes closed would you accept the fact that you're weak today You really have nothing in this universe to really offer God that he does not have. There's nothing that you have today that's going to help you in yourself to grow a church, to grow your class, to grow your family. You're just you. But you were created by God for a purpose, and he's accomplishing that purpose by Jesus coming into your heart. And the more we depend on him, the more we accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. Maybe you're sitting here today and say, I've never received Christ. I'm just not sure that if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. I'm just not sure if I'm a Christian. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to pray and ask Jesus to come into your life. As many as received him, the Bible says, to them gave you the power to become the children of God. So I'm going to ask you this morning. If you've never received Christ or you're just not sure about your salvation, and you want to see the majesty of God in your life, pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. God, I see your greatness and your glory and your majesty through what you've made. And God, I'm awed by how much you would love me, that I would fill your heart. And so, God, I want to ask you to forgive me of all my sin and rebellion against you. And as the Scripture instructs instructs me, I want to invite you into my life and receive you into my life. I want to follow you as my Lord. I do that now. And I thank you, I thank you for saving me now. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.